This is VOA News via remote. I'm Tommy McNeil. Russia has claimed control over the last Ukrainian stronghold in an eastern province that is key to achieving a major goal of Moscow's grinding war. The general staff of Ukraine's military reported Sunday that its forces have withdrawn from Lishinshansk and Luhansk province. Ukraine's president acknowledged the withdrawal in his nightly video address but said his forces would return with modern weapons. If confirmed, Russia's complete seizure of Luhansk would provide its troops with a stronger base from which to press their advance in Donbass. Russian President Vladimir Putin has bent on capturing that region in a campaign that could determine the course of the entire war. A gunman opened fire inside a busy shopping mall in the Danish capital on Sunday, killing three people and critically wounding three others, according to police. A 22-year-old Danish man was arrested after the shooting. Uh, Copenhagen police inspector Soren uh, Tomlinson said uh, to reporters, adding that there was no indication that anyone else was involved in that attack. He said it was uh, too early to speculate on the motive for the shooting, which happened in the late afternoon at Fields, one of the biggest shopping malls in Scandinavia, and located on the outskirts of the Danish capital. When the shots rang out, some people hid in shops while others fled in a panic stampede, according to witnesses. Authorities say a black man was unarmed when Akron police chased him on foot and killed him in a hail of gunfire. But officers believed he shot at them earlier from a vehicle and feared he was preparing to fire again. Akron police released video Sunday of the pursuit and killing of the 25-year-old Jalen Walker. The mayor called the June 27th shooting heartbreaking while asking for patience from the community. It is not yet clear how many shots were fired but by the eight officers who were involved, but Walker sustained more than 60 wounds. This is VOA News. A member of the House committee investigating the January 6th riot says more evidence is emerging that lends support to recent testimony that former U.S. President Donald Trump wanted to join an angry mob that marched to the Capitol and rioted. The Illinois Representative Adam Kinzinger says there will be way more information and to stay tuned. He's not disclosing the new information he's referring to, and he is not saying who's provided it. But he says the information has not shaken the committee's confidence in the testimony of the former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson. At least two more hearings are scheduled for this month. And the committee's vice chair, Representative Liz Cheney, is making clear that criminal referrals to the Justice Department, including against Trump, could follow. Argentina has a new economy minister. This is just a day after the abrupt resignation of her predecessor, and it shook the governing coalition at a time it was already having a crisis of unity. The presidency spokesperson wrote on Twitter late Sunday that Sevilla Batakis will now head the economy ministry, replacing Martin Guzman. The pick could be crucial for the administration of the president, Antonio Fernandez, as it faces sharp internal divisions while Argentina is undergoing economic turmoil. Inflation is running above 60 percent. The peso has been sliding and truckers have disrupted the economy by striking over the high cost of diesel. At the time, left-leaning members of the governing coalition have been sharply criticizing the government's deal to restructure $44 billion in debt. More than 30,000 residents of Sydney and its uh, surroundings have been told to evacuate or prepare to evacuate their homes amid bad weather conditions. Australia's uh, largest city is braced for what could be its worst flooding in 18 months. 
During a news conference on Monday, the Premier of New South Wales said evacuation warnings and orders affected 32,000 people across the state. People were told to avoid any non-essential travel, including on public transport, with some roads already underwater and others at risk of sudden flash flooding. And recapping our top story, Russia has now claimed control over the last Ukrainian stronghold in an eastern province that is key to achieving a major goal of Moscow's grinding war. The general staff of Ukraine's military did report on Sunday that its forces had withdrawn from Lishinchansk and Luhansk province. Ukraine's president acknowledged the withdrawal in his nightly video address but said that his forces would return with more modern weapons. There is more at voanews.com. Again, voanews.com via remotes. I'm Tommy McNeil, VOA News. Today is Monday, July 4th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Russia announces capture of the last major Ukrainian-held city in Luhansk province. Ukrainian fighters spent weeks trying to defend Lyshansk and to keep it from falling to Russia, as neighboring Severodonetsk did a week ago. The WHO warns of growing health risks in the Horn of Africa as acute hunger spreads. The World Health Organization's incident manager for the Horn of Africa, Sophie Mace, says urgent action is needed to slow the health and hunger crisis. And the U.S. marks its 246th independence with a big jump in travels since the pandemic. We'll have more on these stories coming up. Russia has announced that it has taken over full control of the last major Ukrainian health city, in that country's Luhansk province. Associated Press correspondent Karin Chamas reports. The victory for Russia brings it closer to establishing full control of all of Ukraine's Donbass region. Ukrainian fighters spent weeks trying to defend Lyshansk and to keep it from falling to Russia, as neighboring Severodonetsk did a week ago. Pro-Russia separatists have held portions of both the Luhansk and Donetsk provinces that make up the Donbass region since 2014, and Moscow recognizes both provinces as sovereign republics. I'm Karen Chamas. President Vladimir Zelensky acknowledged on Sunday that Ukrainian forces had withdrawn from Lyshansk in Donbass but vowed to restore control over the area thanks to the army's tactics and the prospects of new improved weaponry. Zelensky said in his nightly video address, quote, If the commanders of our army withdrew people from certain points at the front where the enemy has the greatest advantage in firepower, and this also applies to Lyshansk, it means only one thing, that we will return thanks to our tactics thanks to the increase in the supply of modern weapons, unquote. As Russia presses its military advantage and continues bombarding key Ukrainian cities, Kyiv has demanded new heavy weapons to defeat the invasion. So what has been promised and what has been delivered? Henry Ridgewell reports. More than 450 Ukrainian troops completed training on new weapons in Britain, including multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, they are seen as crucial in countering Russian artillery. Captain James Oliphant is from the British Army. Because it's a track vehicle, their rocket systems are wheeled. It's going to give them more, more mobility, which is going to aid in their survivability. 
Britain and the United States have supplied several MLRS to Ukraine alongside other heavy weapons, howitzers, armoured vehicles, drones, air defence and missile systems. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told NATO leaders he urgently needs more advanced weapons. He said by providing them to us, you can completely break Russia's tactics to destroy cities and terrorize Ukrainian civilians. NATO itself is not supplying heavy weapons to Ukraine, explains Jim Townsend, former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for European and NATO policy. That's not NATO itself as an institution providing things. It doesn't have them, but its allies do. And so NATO has been very supportive of allies providing that assistance if they can. There's an absorption rate uh, and a training rate that has to be met as well in terms of timing. And uh, that's what we're seeing play out. Despite those constraints, several NATO members have made new pledges at the Madrid summit. U.S. President Joe Biden said an additional $800 million of military support was on its way to Ukraine, with over $7 billion pledged so far by the administration. Including new advanced Western air defense systems for Ukraine, more artillery and ammunition, counter-battery radars, additional ammunition for the HIMARS multiple launch rocket system we've already given Ukraine, and more HIMARS coming from other countries as well. Britain pledged an extra $1.3 billion in military aid, taking its total contribution to $2.8 billion. France said it plans to send six additional self-propelled Caesar long-range artillery systems, taking the total to 18. Ukraine is reported to have deployed these on the Black Sea coast, close to Snake Island which Russian forces abandoned Thursday. Germany has pledged to deliver 15 anti-aircraft tanks in July, while Spain is considering sending around 40 German-made Leopard tanks, though Berlin would have the final say. But as the war enters its fifth month, the West still has not supplied heavy weapons in the numbers that Ukraine says it needs. Fabrice Potier is a former NATO head of policy planning. There is a political calculation that we should give a bit more, but not so much that somehow we can feed and trigger an escalation that gets out of control. And I, in a way, there's, I understand the logic, but I think it's profoundly wrong because fundamentally that means we are asking Zelensky to fight with one hand in the back. Ukraine says it needs a tenfold increase in the supply of weapons to counter Russia's arsenal of artillery. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News. North Korea has condemned joint U.S.-South Korean and Japanese military cooperation, warning that the move is prompting them to reinforce their military capability. Again, AP correspondent Karin Chamas reports. North Korea's foreign ministry released a statement saying the current situation more urgently calls for building up the country's defense in order to cope with what they call the rapid aggravation of the security environment of the Korean peninsula and the rest of the world. The statement was a reaction to a trilateral meeting that took place on the sidelines of a NATO summit last week. In the meeting, the three parties affirmed the need to strengthen their cooperation to deal with North Korean nuclear threats. North Korea views US-led joint military exercises in the region as an invasion rehearsal. Washington and Seoul have repeatedly said they have no intentions of attacking the North. I'm Karen Chamas. 
The fireworks are still a few hours away as the U.S. marks its 246th independence, but travel's 40th July 4th weekend is off to a booming start. The Transportation Security Administration said that it screened more people than it did on the same day in 2019 before the pandemic. Travelers so far seem to be experiencing fewer delays and canceled flights than they did earlier this week. Leisure travel has bounced back this year, offsetting weaknesses in business travel and international flying. Still, the total number of people flying has not quite recovered fully to pre-pandemic levels. In the northwest of Ethiopia's Afar region, landmines left over the 19th month Tigray conflict are making herders struggle with a record-breaking drought. Even deadlier landmines have killed children and livestock and made people afraid to collect water despite the drought. Henry Wilkins reports from Chifra, Ethiopia. The battles between Ethiopian government-aligned troops and Tigrayan forces may have stopped, but herders in western Afar region are left fighting for survival. The record drought in the Horn of Africa that's killed millions of livestock has been made worse by landmines left by combatants. Herder Hassan Arebti Hassan's four-year-old daughter was injured by a landmine, and they're also killing his animals. Landmines are everywhere around here, and many animals have died Landmines and other explosives are so common here that the locals use the wood from the crates as building materials. Nine-year-old Ali Amar says his ten-year-old friend was killed by a landmine while they were herding goats together. I left here with my friend to go and we were just there to take care of the goats, but my friend died. Ali was also injured. His father says landmines make them all afraid to collect water, despite the drought. There is a serious drought here. It is difficult both for the people and the animals. We don't know what we'll do. I must spend a lot of money to buy food for both our family and our animals. We need one mine to move from the area where we used to live. After speaking with locals, Huawei was unable to establish which side in the conflict was responsible for laying the mines. Bekele Gontra runs a non-profit in Addis Ababa to support the mine victims. He says people in mined areas of Ethiopia, like Chifra, need help. Number one is the medical uh, treatment. And then uh, they've been provided to, with psychosocial support, which includes uh, peer counseling, particularly that's what we, our organization is basically engaged in and operating in. The, the public and uh, the community has to be given mind risk education in order to really keep themselves away from uh, the, the mines. But with the ongoing drought, people in Chifra have little choice in listening landmines to find food for their animals and collect water for their survival. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Chifra, Ethiopia. The World Food Programme warns conflict, climate change, COVID-19 and skyrocketing prices of food, fuel and fertilizers are further threatening stability and development prospects in Africa's Sahel region. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva.
WFP warns a wave of hunger and suffering is sweeping across part of the Sahel, driving people to the brink of desperation and upending years of development gains. The agency reports 12.7 million people are acutely hungry, including 1.4 million on the verge of starvation. It says 6 million children are acutely malnourished, making them vulnerable to disease and even death if they do not receive treatment for their condition. Alexandre Le Cusia is WFP's Senior Emergency Preparedness and Response Advisor for West Africa. Speaking from Dakar in Senegal, he warns the number of people suffering from acute hunger and the number of malnourished children is likely to rise during the current lean season when food stocks are at their lowest. What we see is that acute hunger is uh, driven primarily by conflict that will continue to trigger massive population displacements and the violence is often preventing people from accessing markets, fields or humanitarian assistance. The region also bears the consequence of a climatic shock with very, very poor rains in 2021, one of the worst in the last 40 years. Lucusia says the conflict in Ukraine has driven up food and energy prices. He adds it also has led to shortages of fertilizer needed for the planting season, which is now over. He notes less than half of the region's fertilizer needs have been met. This, he says, could result in a 20% drop in agricultural production in the region this year, further increasing the levels of hunger. He says needs in the region are at record highs at a time when resources to respond to emergencies are dwindling. He says a lack of money is forcing WFP to reduce the number of people receiving assistance and to cut rations for the remaining beneficiaries. Even before the conflict in Ukraine drove up the global prices of food, fuel and fertilizer, we were forced to cut rations by up to 50% in all of the Sahelian countries, as well as in Nigeria, CAR. And our emergency nutrition programs are also underfunded, which combined to the cuts I was mentioning on our food rations is going to put a lot of stress on what little resources the poorest families have left. Lucusia says WFP requires $329 million in the next six months for its life-saving operation and to prevent the Sahel from becoming what it calls an all-out humanitarian catastrophe. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. In other news, Danish police say shooting at a Copenhagen shopping mall has left several people dead and injured. Police said the suspected gunman who is in custody is a 22-year-old Danish man who was detained near the field shopping mall after the shooting on Sunday. The shopping center is on the outskirts of Copenhagen, just across the subway line center at the outskirts of the international airport. A major highway also runs adjacent to the fields the mall opened in 2004. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. The World Health Organization is warning of growing health risks in the Horn of Africa as acute hunger spreads there. Lisa Schneider reports for VOA from Geneva. The World Health Organization's Incident Manager for the Horn of Africa, Sophie Mace, says urgent action is needed to slow the health and hunger crisis that is sickening and killing increasing numbers of people in the region. WHO has released $16.5 million from its emergency fund for operations there. 
that due to the acute food insecurity, malnutrition rates are getting higher and higher. And especially children and pregnant and lactating women are very, very vulnerable. There is this synergy between malnutrition and, and disease where malnourished children become more easily sick and sick children more easily malnourished. The World Food Program warns 20 million people are at risk of starvation as drought in the horn worsens. Speaking from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, May says the priority is to ensure everyone has access to food. At the same time, she says it is important that health needs are not neglected. She warns the risk of disease outbreaks is higher because of a lack of clean water. She says the drought has dried up water sources, forcing people to leave their homes in search of food, water, and pasture for their cattle. Consequently, she says, people are more likely to get sick as their living conditions deteriorate. And we are seeing a, a spike in, in disease outbreaks. Uh, we are looking at measles, Djibouti, South Sudan, Somalia, Sudan, cholera and acute watery diarrhea in Kenya, in yeah. South Sudan, in Somalia, meningitis, hepatitis E, to name but a few. MACE appeals for international support to help WHO provide needed care to severely malnourished children. She says it is crucial to respond to disease outbreaks quickly, to have sufficient supplies of drugs and equipment available, and to ensure children receive needed vaccines. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Australia is fighting to contain an outbreak of tiny parasitic mites that killed and spread viruses to European honeybees. The Varroa destructor was first found at a port in the state of New South Wales, but has been detected in hives 100 kilometers away. Parts of Eastern Australia bee industry has been put into lockdown. Phil Mercer reports from Sydney. Australia is one of the few countries to have remained free of the Varroa mite, but its strict border biosecurity controls have been breached. The parasitic mite, which is the size of a pinhead, was detected at the port of Newcastle north of Sydney more than a week ago and has spread to other hives in the state of New South Wales. Containment zones are in place around known infestations and both professional and amateur beekeepers are forbidden from moving hives, bees or honeycombs. Hundreds of hives containing thousands of insects have been destroyed so far. Victoria, Queensland and South Australia have temporarily banned bee products from neighbouring New South Wales. Tim Jackson, the chief executive of Almonds Australia, an industry body representing growers, told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation that he hopes it's not too late to eradicate the destructive pest. It's a biosecurity disaster. It's the almond industry and a lot of other industries' worst nightmare. The varroa mite attaches itself to the bees and then with Drone bees gets transported around to other hives and it sucks the life out of bees essentially and causes um, significant damage to the hives. In fact, it'll kill the hives if there's no treatment done. So the bees are pretty dormant at the moment. So we've got an opportunity now and in the next two or three weeks to really get on top of this and run a circle around, a perimeter around our damaged area. Experts say varroa mite numbers build up over time, eventually killing honeybee nests and hives if chemical treatments aren't used. The loss of bee colonies damages the production of honey and the pollination of crops that supply about one-third of the foods humans eat. 
The pests have been found in much of Asia, Europe, the United States and South America. Australia has previously eliminated isolated varroa mite outbreaks in Victoria in 2018 and on three occasions in Queensland between 2016 and 2020. But the current infestation is far more widespread. It threatens to cost Australia's honey and food production industries millions of dollars and could have global ramifications. Australia is a major supplier of queen and hive bees to North America, the Middle East and Japan. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. This is Science in a Minute. The commissioning of the James Webb Space Telescope is almost complete. Each instrument has several modes of operation and all modes must be given the final go-ahead before being considered fully commissioned. NASA reports that two of the observatory's four instruments have been fully cleared and are ready to perform their science missions. With this edition of Science in a Minute, only one mode for each of the two remaining instruments needs to be checked and readied for full operation. According to a space agency press release, NASA, in partnership with the European Space Agency and Canadian Space Agency, will release the James Webb Space Telescope's first full-color images and spectroscopic data at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Tuesday, July 12. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday at 2105 UTC, join me, Steve Miller, as I put the latest developments into a global context with interviews and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States is deeply concerned by the June 14th mass conviction of some 60 opposition activists in Cambodia, including Cambodian-American lawyer Thierry Seng. 
The sentencing of these opposition activists, many of whom are associated with the disbanded Cambodia National Rescue Party, is the latest instance in an alarming pattern of threats, intimidation, and persecution of opposition political leaders and parties. Convicted of treason, Thierry Sang was sentenced to six years in prison. The others received sentences of five to eight years. Thierry Sang told reporters she was ready for a sham guilty verdict. I am ready and prepared to go to the notorious Cambodian prison for my political opinions, for my beliefs, for my belief in democracy, for my belief in freedom, she said. I am ready to pay the price of prison in order that I live out my conscience and my belief in freedom and justice. U.S. Ambassador to Cambodia Patrick Murphy tweeted out, We are deeply troubled by the verdict against Thierry Sang. Freedom of expression and association and tolerance of dissenting views are vital components of democracy. We call on Cambodian authorities to release her and other human rights activists from unjust imprisonment. Prime Minister Hun Sen has ruled Cambodia for 37 years, rising to prominence in the 1980s after the defeat of the Khmer Rouge regime. The Cambodia National Rescue Party was Hun Sen's biggest political rival before it was disbanded by a court ruling prior to national elections in 2018 that led to victory for Hun Sen's Cambodia People's Party. Thierry Sang and most of the other defendants were charged over a failed attempt by the leader of the Cambodia National Rescue Party to return from exile in 2019. All Cambodians should be able to exercise their human rights, to express their views freely, to assemble peacefully and to choose their leaders, said State Department spokesperson Ned Price. We call on Cambodian authorities to release all those unjustly detained, including Thierry Sang, and protect freedoms of expression, association, and peaceful assembly, consistent with Cambodia's constitution and its international obligations and commitments. The United States stands with the Cambodian people and remains steadfast in support of their aspirations for democracy and human rights. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.